If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. Um, we are going to be looking at a, um, a very grown-up teaching of Jesus uh, today. And uh, this one's been challenging um, to me in my study. And I just want to prepare you. This is Jesus treating people like you and me uh, as if we're grown-ups and able to look in the mirror and hear uh, God speak to us and even challenge us in, in His teaching and through His teaching. So I'm going to read verses 17 to 26, and then we'll pray, and then uh, we're just going to dive right in. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. And then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you, will, you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Yikes. Father, we ask you to help us not just hear the easy, um, encouraging, affirming, and supporting words of Jesus. We pray that you would help us to hear these challenging words from Jesus. Pray, God, that we would, in this moment, be able to come fully present to you in this room, that we would think deep and true thoughts about you, Jesus, but also, God, we ask you to give us insight into our own hearts and lives. God, we pray that we would see clearly today. Jesus, we thank you that you treat us as grown-ups. You treat us as those who are able and, and capable to look in the mirror and learn and grow and change. Help us to do that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to walk through this passage and uh, we're going to try to see what was going on uh, this day that Jesus taught these words. And then we're going to take some time to sit with three specific temptations today. Uh, temptations that Jesus names here. Uh, temptations that I believe are actually uh, common unto humans. Um, temptations all of us face in one way or another. And we're going to spend some time thinking about those things and even meditating upon them today. First thing we need to see here is that people were coming out to, to see Jesus. They uh, were coming from the region, from Judea and Jerusalem, from Tyre and Sidon, these places in a regional area they were coming to, to hear Jesus. They wanted to, um, they wanted to know what was going on. There were probably in this crowd people who were very devout. There were disciples here. And then there were people who were just simply curious, people who were maybe wondering what the fuss was all about. Um, they had heard maybe of sermons or they had heard of miracles or provision. And so all kinds of people were coming out to Jesus. And today, maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a season in life to where you are coming out to see if Jesus would, would have something to say about your life. And 
Um, I just want to say that that happens throughout our life in various seasons. I've had my own season recently where I have, with renewed interest, kind of come out to see if Jesus would have something to say about what was going on inside my own heart. And so if you're in that place of curiosity, of wondering, does Jesus have something to say about this season in life, about what I'm going through right now, um, you're in really good company. There's this invitation to curiosity that happens, and these people were just simply curious. They were coming out to see Jesus. The second thing we see here is that power was coming out of Jesus, and it was healing people, making people well. And there's something here that I think we need to, to sit with. Many of us maybe grew up in a kind of religious worldview or a more secular worldview where we think maybe Jesus taught some good things, maybe he represents or symbolizes uh, something good, but we maybe haven't considered whether or not there's power that Jesus would want to give to us. And I'm becoming increasingly uh, renewed in my own conviction that at the very heart of Christian spirituality ought to be an awareness and a desire of the power of God to come into our lives and actually do things. And I think you need to ask the question, as do I, do I believe that Jesus actually has something powerful to say about my life? Or is it just about like knowing the rules and getting your ideas right? Managing an image and a reputation. Does Jesus have something powerful to say to you? And too many of us, I think, have grown up with a kind of Christian worldview that's completely devoid of power. We, we don't think about Jesus having something powerful to give to us. We, we maybe don't have an expectation that he would want to heal our hearts or our bodies or our relationships or that he could move an obstacle out of the way that's been blocking us, that he could set us free from an addiction or from a, a pattern of thinking or relating with the world that's been counterproductive and unhelpful. And I just want to say to you that there were people that day who began to have this inkling that Jesus had something to say about them about their lives, that he had something that he could do for them. And do you have that expectation? And if you don't, I believe that today is a day for us to begin to step back and think with fresh perspective and say, what would my Christianity look like if I believed that Jesus had something powerful to do or something powerful to say over my life? Do you believe in the power of God? And it's actually true in terms of our lived experience. Sometimes we say things with our mouths, but we live, we live what we really believe. Many of us live in such a way that we don't have much of an expectation that God would do something or show up in power, that he would move things around and give us a sort of overcoming sense of power. And I just want to suggest to you that I believe Jesus, his power is for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. He wants to set you free. He wants to deliver you from fear. He wants to heal relationships. He wants to do stuff in your life and in mine. And so people were coming out and there was a sense of power. But that power becomes only relevant when we see the third thing that I think we're meant to sit with in this text, which is that Jesus wants to, longs to be with us, to meet with us in our neediness. We're told in this text that there were people who were uh, oppressed by evil. There were people who were sick and people who were unwell in various parts of their body. Um, but the common denominator in all of that is that many people were coming out to Jesus because they were aware of their neediness. They were aware that they had a need that could not be met in conventional ways. So an awareness of neediness resulted in a kind of pursuit of God. 
And I would just ask you today, where are you aware of your own neediness? Where are you aware of your need? John Ortberg said in his book, Soul Keeping, it is the nature of the soul to need. And yet many of us were taught that neediness is something we should cover up and hide, that um, we should be strong and we should be self-reliant. And so we walk around kind of hiding our own neediness, our own vulnerability, because we see it as a sign of weakness or failure or inadequacy. The people who were coming out to Jesus were aware of their need. Are you aware of your need? Or do you hide it? And the challenge with hiding our need is that everybody else sees it. We, we're not very good at hiding our needs. Um, we're not very good at hiding our deficiencies or the places where we're just like out of whack. And yet we do it anyway because we've been taught, we've been conditioned oftentimes by our families, but by our wider culture as well to hide our neediness. Where are you needy? Are you in touch with your need? One of the great gifts of this season of burnout that I went through is that I've become more in touch with my need than at any other time in my life and have learned to not be ashamed of that need, but to say, I am needy. It is the nature of the soul to need. And I believe that that's true for every single one of us. People were coming out because they needed something. What do you need? If God were to engage you, what would you want him to do in you? For you. If Jesus were going to say something over your life, about your life, and actually move in power, where would you long for him to move? I believe this is one of those rubber meets the road kind of things. Where do you get in touch with your need so that you would ask God to meet you in your neediness? And if we've been ashamed of our neediness, if we've tried to hide it, if we put defense mechanisms up and self-preservation to sort of protect for us to recognize that God's not asking us to do that. Your mama may have asked you to do that, but God's not asked you to do that. Your boss may have asked you to do that, but God hasn't asked you to do that. He wants us to be people who know our need. Do you know your need? And when we live our lives at a breakneck pace, if we live our lives reactive and self-protective and going a million miles an hour, we'll oftentimes fail to stop and recognize where we're vulnerable, where we're needy. Jesus meets people in their need. That's what he does. That's his instinct. His instinct is to move toward your need. But you have to name it. You're invited to name it. And then Jesus says what's really troubling. He, he begins his woe unto you. And um, so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to sit with the woe unto yous. And uh, many of you, as I was reading the text, as soon as you started hearing him say like, woe unto you, you're thinking like, oh, gee, you know, if we're rich, if we have enough to eat, if we're happy, like woe unto you. Jesus doesn't want us to have security and food and have a good time. That's not what he's saying. And I think that a misunderstanding of what he's saying probably causes many of us to, to shut down and not even really take the Bible very seriously. Here's what Jesus is saying. The word woe is a word that connotes regret and compassion. What Jesus is saying right here, and I would just submit to you that this is really important for us to hear, is he's saying when you look elsewhere to solve your neediness, he feels regret and compassion. It breaks his heart. Rather than getting distracted by thinking, is Jesus being mean? Here's what I want us to hear. 
What Jesus is saying about neediness is I want you to recognize that you have needs that are um, real, that your desire to be secure, your desire to be loved, your desire to feel um, safe and okay in the world, that's a God-given desire. But when we look elsewhere to try to meet that deep securing need, we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And when we look elsewhere, and we're gonna name three places where Jesus says we look that are really right here in the text, I'm going to kind of broaden them so you can hear them conceptually rather than being distracted by food and by fun and by resources. Um, When we look elsewhere to these things to secure us, it doesn't work and it breaks God's heart because he wants to secure us. So let's put that one slide up with these three things. I believe this is what Jesus is saying. I believe that common to man and, and woman, to humanity, there are three overarching drivers named by Jesus here that will never actually get the job done. Seeking comfort and security through resources, um, the idea of if I just have enough, I'll be okay. Pursuing pleasure and satisfaction and cultivating an image and a reputation. When Jesus names the things he names here, the woe unto you, what he's saying is your neediness If you don't acknowledge it and acknowledge that God is the one who can meet you in your neediness, that you'll look elsewhere and that the elsewhere will never get the job done. And when we look elsewhere, his heart breaks for us because he wants to meet us in deep and fundamental and profound places. So where have you looked elsewhere? I think that's the invitation. If God is treating us like grownups here, he's putting a mirror in front of our face and he's saying, where have you looked? Where have you walked down dead end roads in order to find something that God deeply wants to give you. And we're all vulnerable. Remember, everyone was coming out because they were aware of their need. We're all vulnerable. And I believe that this is an opportunity for us to name our neediness and our vulnerability so that we can go down the road toward asking God to meet us rather than losing time pursuing dead-end roads. Here's how the text ends. The last movement in this text is this. You are, if you belong to Jesus, a part of the kingdom of God. And I want us to listen to the words in verse, I think it's 20 and 21. I'm going to read these words because I think it's really important that we hear uh, the tense here in the text. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And I believe that what Jesus is saying when he speaks of poverty here is this awareness of our fundamental neediness actually puts us in a place of being present tense, a part of the kingdom of God. And yet hunger and weeping, a sense of things not being quite right. Those things might not be met right now. There are there are you will be. So we have two will be's, future tense, when things are not right, when we're weeping, when we're hungry, there's a sense in which things are not always solved for us in the moment, even in God's kingdom, that we go with lack, we we live in relationships that are impaired, we deal with things that are not like they ought to be, and there's a sense here of promise that one day God will heal those things, he'll wipe our tears away, he'll feed us. 
But when we acknowledge our neediness, we are currently a part of the kingdom of God. And I believe that one of the things we're meant to let go of is a kind of vending machine mindset when it comes to Christian spirituality. That if I do all the right things, I'm going to get all the right answers right here, right now. Jesus looks at us and he says, you are a part of God's kingdom. And yet you will also go through seasons where things don't work out like you want them to work out. Where you experience a lack that he won't heal right now, but he will heal one day. But you do that as a member of God's family. We do that as members of God's kingdom. And I believe that one of the gifts in a text like this is that we're invited to name and acknowledge our own neediness and to celebrate that while we are needy, we are also present tense, a part of God's family. So we hurt from within the family rather than isolation. We're brought into delayed gratification and longing that may not always be met right here and now, but we're a part of the family as we feel those feelings of deferral, as we look for a future that isn't today, maybe. I believe that Jesus is inviting us to be more and more aware of our essential neediness so that we can be the kinds of people who ask him for very specific things. Let's go back to that slide with those three temptations. Where are you most tempted? See, I believe that getting clear about that is really important. Where are you most tempted? Where are you most vulnerable? Where does God want to meet you? Where does he want to make you more self-aware? And we're all vulnerable. We're just not all vulnerable in exactly the same ways. I think that one of the biggest temptations for me, especially early in life, was just to be liked, you know, just to have people like me. Um, and, and I became a people pleaser in so many ways because I just wanted to be liked. I just wanted to have like an unmet need met somehow. And I think for you, you've got your own vulnerability. We all do. I believe Jesus already knows what those vulnerabilities look like. He wants you to know. So that you can say, Jesus, would you come and work healing? Would you come and bring your power? Would you come and do something, say something good into my life that would actually move things around? So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm increasingly call it like Chris's post-burnout moment of reflection in church. We're going to be quiet. Um, I'd, <laughs> I, I think so often in church we just kind of like plow through and say amen, and then we go to communion, and then you go you know, start cooking food or doing something, and you don't even think about it. So we're going to take like three minutes of, of quiet. We're going to do what the Jews say, call Selah. We're going to stop and calmly think of this, and we're going to ask the question in our own hearts, where do I feel vulnerable? Where do I feel tempted? And I would like you to just spend a few moments in silence. And I know for some of us, it's excruciating, you know, um, just being quiet's hard, but let's just do our best. And then we're going to come prepare for communion. We're going to, we're going to confess our sins. We're going to read the Bible. But first I want us to be quiet just for a few moments to do some reflection with this uh, slide up on the screen.
If we're able to stand together. See, if we'll stop and ask God to help us see things, we are then well on our way toward knowing how to pray and what to ask him for specifically. We're to ask him to meet us. So I pray that you receive some insight today just as you stop to to consider. I think those are the spaces where the Lord really does want to speak to us. So we're going to pray now and confess our sin, and maybe this is an opportunity to say to the Lord silently in this moment, gosh, Lord, I really have struggled in some areas, or I feel vulnerable um, in some areas that maybe you've just meditated upon. And so let's silently just admit our vulnerability and our fault before God. Lord, we all have places of vulnerability, places where we're tempted, and frankly, Lord, places where we sin, where we miss the mark. And we just ask today for your mercy and your kindness and your forgiveness where we need it. God, we admit to you that we uh, do look elsewhere for security and for satisfaction, and we ask God today that you would help us to look to you I speak God's kindness over you. I declare his mercy and his grace, his kindness. I pray that you would receive his help at the point of your need and that you would begin to get increasingly clear about where you need him so that you would pray about that more regularly. Receive God's mercy, his kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.